Our first reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And this is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading is taken from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may be abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of the sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would not, no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we, be, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. If you are able, please rise for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel reading is taken, is taken from Luke chapter 3, verses 15 to 22. As the people were in expectation... And all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. With a chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrach, who has been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit des descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, 
With you, I am well pleased. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Dear Christian friends, the theme of our meditation, as you can see, is, and it is based upon the gospel account from St. Luke on Jesus' baptism, and we'll also bring in on occasion the gospel account from Matthew on Jesus' baptism. It's been a little over two weeks. A little over two weeks ago, we gathered on Christmas Eve, either in worship or together with family, and we celebrated. And we saw the, the, the star overhead in the stable. We had the shepherds coming. We had the angelic chorus singing. We had Mary. We had Joseph. All of those things were all part of this wonderful, incredible moment that we joined together, either in worship in the body of Christ or with the body of our own families. And yet all of us, I think, as important as those other things were, we wanted to see the manger. We wanted to see the, the babe in that manger. Emmanuel, God who took flesh, dwelt among us. That was what's most important. That birth, that coming of the very Son of God into our world. And then we also heard later on that the disciples would ultimately hear of it, but it was the shepherds who went and started to talk to people about it. And yet, there were no crowds. There were no lines. We have larger lines for people standing, trying to get a COVID test today, than people coming to that stable. Nobody was coming to that stable going, hey, we want to see the baby. We want to see the child. Nothing. Nothing at all. Jesus was taken by his parents, taken by his parents to Jerusalem. We have the Song of Simeon that we speak, the Anna, who is also there. Jesus was eight days old in this great celebration. And again, many people. We have the fact that the Magi came, and the only one who was really concerned about that was Herod. And Herod killed all of the male children under the age of two. Jesus and his family were, had to flee to Egypt. And yet, all of this, the Son of God was now in the world. The Son of God had been born. The Son of God had the angels, the star, the stable, all of that, and it just sort of fizzled. But you see now, in this particular text, we start out with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was an individual that people were, were drawn to. Now, keep in mind at this point, Israel was under the domination of the Romans. And it was galling. Just downright galling that these Gentiles somehow would rule us, tell us what to do, Tell us how we're supposed to think. And then this burden of taxes. All of this was coming. And all of this was crushing them down. Yet, 
what we see in this text, in the very opening part, is the people had hope. They had hope that the Messiah was going to come. And what they thought was that that Messiah was John. I mean, John, you talk about a guy who sparked a lot of people. Jesus' birth didn't do it. None of it did. Even when Jesus, the wonder kind, was in the temple, that didn't do it. But John's out there in the wilderness. John's out there preaching. John's out there preparing people by talking to them, sharing with them that they need to be baptized, a baptism of repentance. They needed to be ready for the coming of the Christ. And yet the people are going, hey, <laughs> you think he's the one? You think we finally got him? Is, he, is Christ finally here? And John just squelches that. He just mashes it down. He says, hey, there's one coming after me that's greater than I am. Now that doesn't sound very messiah does it? He is so great. John says, I can't even get down and loosen his sandals. And so I'm sure the people were thinking, now what? How much longer are we going to have to wait? Is he just another prophet? Now we wait. And then it happened. Jesus came. And Jesus comes to John. And it tells John that he wants John to baptize him. John says, no way. Oh, no way in the world I'm going to be baptizing you. You, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. All righteousness has to be fulfilled. So you need to baptize me. Now let's go back. We're talking about John's baptism as a baptism of repentance, isn't it? Well, you're repenting of what? Your sin. Well, Jesus is sinless. Jesus is without sin. Peter tells us he's not only without sin, he's without God. So then you have to ask yourself, well, why does Jesus have to be baptized? And why would he be baptized by John, of all people, in this baptism of repentance when he is the very Son of God, he is the perfect one? And the answer really lies in how Jesus came. You, you'll notice Jesus doesn't come followed by a large crowd of people. Jesus doesn't come there with some sort of... Jesus doesn't come on some kind of white horse. Jesus simply walks up. Jesus comes and shows how his ministry is going to begin, and how his ministry and who he is. He comes as a servant. And he comes as a servant and shows them that, look at he's not coming there to be served. He's coming there to serve. There's his ministry. And what he is saying to John is, look at and righteousness is going to be fulfilled, I need to go through all things. I need to be placed under the law. I need to fulfill all of the things that any other human being must fulfill. Only the difference is he's going to do it perfectly. Because he's like us, except without sin. And that's what's important in this 
instance. What we're seeing in this particular text, and also in Matthew, is the fact that Jesus is beginning his ministry. He's beginning his ministry as a servant. He will serve in the way in which he shares the word and how he also shares in the miracles. It is Jesus who gets down on his hands and knees and washes the disciples' feet. It's Jesus who serves you and me on that cross. He's born. Born under the blazing star. And he dies in the darkness of Golgotha. Abandoned by the same father who in this text says, this is my son and whom I am well pleased. Abandoned because Jesus served us. Jesus became sin for us. Jesus took the sins of the world and our Lord Jesus Christ bled on that cross. The Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world as John calls him. And our Lord Jesus Christ redeemed, atoned on that cross for you and for me. And you see, that's the special. And then Jesus takes us. He takes us to the point where he's about to ascend into heaven. And he gives us another understanding of baptism. No longer a baptism of repentance, but a baptism that's sacramental, that brings forgiveness. Jesus says at the very end, go out into the world. He says to his disciples, and he's saying it to us. And he goes, go out into the world and baptize. And that baptism only means to apply water. That's all it means. Put water. Doesn't say immersion, doesn't say anything about that. And he says, go out into the world and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them all things that I have commanded. You want to know how to make a disciple? Jesus puts it right there for you and me. Baptize? Teach. Who do you baptize? All the world. I don't see any age distinction there. I don't see anything where it says, I want you to baptize the whole world starting at 12 years old. It says all people. The reason we baptize first and foremost is because Jesus told us. And then there's that power. The promise is for you and your children, Peter says to us, that faith worked by the Holy Spirit. We have the Father saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, the Dove, the Holy Spirit coming down. And what do the Scriptures say about the Holy Spirit? No one, no one can call Jesus Christ Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's grace. Not a choice. It's not something that we said, whoop, gonna make that decision. It's God's grace. That's that's so beautiful, so wonderful. It's what unites us. Over the years, as a pastor, I have had the privilege of baptizing a lot of people, mostly children. 
mostly infants. And I have to tell you, it's, it's one of the greatest things to do as a parish pastor. It's, it's hard to find anything else that's more enjoyable than, than that. And to take that child, take that child into your arm, but also to see the parents. Most of the time the parents are, or the parents are scared to death their child is going to cry. I always remember. Oh, our child may cry. I said, remember. I baptized our son, Jacob, who happens to be 39 years old, in our first parish, with no microphone. And nobody screamed louder in my life. I still can't get his screams out of my... So I said, don't worry about it. No child screamed more than our son Jacob. And you know what? His baptism is just as valid as if he was quiet. So don't worry. It'll be okay. And you think of all the things that God does. Take that child and give to that child that wonderful blessing of faith. Parents do a lot of things for their kids. Can't think of anything better than that. That wonderful blessing, that joyous hope. Because baptism, it, 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 it's just such a unifier. And you know, today, tomorrow you'll start, read maybe paper or something, maybe watch some news. And I'll bet you dollars to donuts. Most everything you're going to read and hear tomorrow will be something that is separating us, causing conflict, people upset. Now, I'm no Pollyanna. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Go ahead and read it. But while you're reading it, think of your baptism. Think of the people that you're around. Think of the church the body of Christ, because that's just as real as what may be going on in the newspapers or in this world. It's how we draw ourselves together in the body of Christ. There's something special about that. And you and I as Christians have this wonderful, joyous opportunity to speak about unity and really mean it. And it's backed up. It's backed up by the cross where our Lord Jesus Christ died. It's backed up by the fact that the one they put in the tomb got up and walked out of there. It's backed up by the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ walked into that room with peace. It's backed up by the fact that our Lord will return. And it's backed up by the fact that the Lord says, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. That's the unity we have. That's the unity we share. And that's the reality of our walk as, as Christians. Yes, there's many things that we can speak about in this world that talks about division and separation. I'm not talking about something about unity. Talk about something that brings people together. 
of all different backgrounds. That's the blessing. That's baptism. That's us. That's our faith. God bless.